I'm not okay. <laughs> Probably some of you are thinking, we know that. <laughs> You've been our pastor for 19 years. We know you're kind of messed up. And indeed, I am. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not okay with God. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven in the eyes of God. I'm declared righteous in the eyes of God because of Christ. I'm headed for heaven. I have wonderful family and, you know, a Christian family surrounding me. In that way, I'm okay. But in some ways, I'm not okay. I struggle with worry and doubt at times. Sometimes I'm anxiety-ridden. And I try to control things around me too much. In that way, I'm not okay. And I could go on and on and on, but in many ways, I'm not okay. And so as a result of that, I need Christian community, Christian community around me. I'm not okay. Need for Christian community. Our church isn't okay either. I got up in front of our congregation three or four Sundays ago, and I said, you know, we're humming. I use that word. We're humming along. And someone corrected me and said, shouldn't the church be roaring along? <laughs> As the Spirit of God descends on people and people are so touched and ignited by the love of God, shouldn't it be like a mighty army, a roaring lion, reaching lost people for the love of Jesus? And I said, yeah, you're right. There's more people to be reached. We have pockets of people in every service, pockets of people who aren't involved in a Bible study or a life group at all, and when we encourage them to do so, they kind of keep us at arm's length and they say, no, I'm fine coming to church and then leaving and that's good enough for me. And there's no need seemingly for those kinds of folks regarding Christian community. In many ways, our church is not okay. We're going to be doing a sermon series starting on September 18th called Get Over It. <laughs> and what we're going to be talking about is getting over some of the hurdles that we face in life like worry and anxiety and feeling down in the dumps and, and uh, just the, the common fears that so many of us have in everyday life. It's going to be a very hands-on, biblical, Christ-centered, relevant subject that we're going to be talking about when we talk about Get Over It. And during that time, the next three or four weeks, we're going to have you sign up to be in a journey group that studies what we're preaching about those Sundays beginning September 18th all the way through October to be in a journey group and journey through the Bible with us on these topics for six weeks, once a week for six weeks. So the plea is going to be for all of you to be in a, a journey group as we journey together regarding these topics. It's going to be a big challenge, but I can't emphasize it enough. We want to grow in our understanding of God's Word together. And so sign up, start next week, and I encourage you to sign up for a journey group that will last once a week for six weeks beginning September 18th. Some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Dave, have we ever done anything like that before? Yes. Ten years ago, we went through a thing called 40 Days of Purpose with Rick Warren. The following year, we did, did a thing called 40 Days of Peace, where we said, okay, everybody, we're all going to be studying the same thing in journey groups and life groups for the next six weeks, and it went over powerfully. We want the same thing to happen here at Peace beginning on September 18th. Sign-ups begin next week. Will you journey with us together to expand your understanding of Christian community. 
And you might be saying, now wait a minute, Pastor Dave, is Christian community, is that really a biblical concept? Absolutely. For us to understand that, we go to Acts chapter 2, and we look at this first verse, look at this, and they devoted, namely the followers of Jesus, and before we go on any further, this happened in Jerusalem. Just a few weeks before this was written, a mighty act of God occurred on Pentecost Day. The Spirit of God descended, Peter preached a powerful, persuasive sermon, and 3,000 people came to know Christ all in one day. And those people needed to be discipled. They needed to be nurtured. They needed to be understanding of what Christian community was all about. And so individual Christian communities were established all around Jerusalem with 8 to 10, 15 people in each one of them. And so it's talking about here these life groups, if you will, these journey groups that gathered together, dotting the landscape of Jerusalem, meeting in homes. They were called home churches. And this is what they did, verse 42. Read it with me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That term devoted themselves. It means they had wrapped attention upon. They were fully focused upon. They were leaning towards these teachings. And the question I have for you is, when was the last time you had rapt attention on the proclamation of the Word of God, whether it was in a life group, Bible study, or in a sermon here on Sunday morning, where you just couldn't wait to get enough? And when I was done, or Tim was done, after 15 or 20 minutes, you thought to yourself, man, give me more. That's not enough. Rapt attention fully devoted, fully focused. That's what these people were doing. On what? It says here, let's look at it, the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? The fundamental, simple teachings of things like creation. The perfect life of Jesus Christ to satisfy the laws and the justice of God. The sacrificial death of Jesus in payment for all the world's sins. His visible resurrection and hanging out for 40 days to give irrefutable evidence that he was alive and his ascension and his imminent return. These were the fundamental teachings of the apostles that were passed on into these life groups, if you will, these home churches in the city of Jerusalem. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, but also, what's the next one? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and what's the next one? You read it? Fellowship. Fellowship. That means Christians getting together to encourage one another and to build each other up, as Pastor Tim was talking about. They did that regularly, consistently, and you'll see here in a little bit how often they met. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. What was that? It was like Lutheran potlucks. Okay? They got together. They ate together, but also when they ate together, they oftentimes also celebrated what? Anybody know? Lord's Supper. That was the breaking of bread. They were encouraged in the faith, their walk with God as they fellowship together, experiencing these fellowship meals, these agape meals, and they experience communion together. And then finally, not only the apostles teaching fellowship, breaking of bread, and finally prayers. They were praying for one another consistently. When they came together, it could have gone something like this. Anybody have a prayer request? And the hand went up and said, you know what, I'm struggling in my work or our marriage is on the rocks, or one of my kids is sick. And right then, right there, in these journey groups, they prayed for one another. They experienced life together. What else? 
epitomized the early church. Let's go on. And awe came upon every soul. Would you read this with me? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' jaw-dropping awe surrounded the church at that time. Amazing things were occurring. The disciples were performing incredible miracles. They were doing the same things that Jesus did, even more so. Healing people, cleansing people of leprosy, and even, did you know this? Raising the dead. Why were these things occurring? To validate and authenticate that Jesus was who he claimed to be. These were the followers of Jesus and they were doing incredible things and that got people's attention and they said, oh my goodness, Jesus of Nazareth has empowered you guys to do these incredible things. He's got to be the Messiah and the church just blew up. I want to ask you, did that stop? Did all those amazing, incredible, wonderful signs and miracles stop with the apostolic age? In other words, all that stuff ended when Jesus died and rose again and ascended and the disciples died one by one and then all the miraculous stuff, it all ended and we don't see any miracles today anymore. Is that right? What do you think? My son is a living miracle. He should have died. He didn't. God healed him. Many of you have amazing, incredible testimonies of amazing things that God has done in your life, amazing miracles, and many people in our congregation don't even know it. What, what would it be like if you were in a life group, in a journey group, and you told somebody the amazing things that God has done in your life, oftentimes miraculous, if not borderline miraculous? People want to hear those stories. They're inspired by those stories. I'm inspired by those stories. So yes, this epitomized the early church. They were talking about the amazing things the apostles were doing. Many people were eyewitnesses of them, but God has not stopped doing miracles today. Amen? Amen? And if we think... I better not say what I'm thinking about the political structure. <laughs> I better not go there. But if we think that God isn't doing miracles today, just look around. Your birth, your kid's birth, if you have them, it's a miracle. Didn't happen by accident. It's not because of evolution. It's because of creation. And creation in and of itself is a miracle, especially with the scientific evidence we have all around us of all the incredible things that God has made. This is what they were talking about in the early church. The church was filled with awe, filled with miracles. Let's go on. Let's read this together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, obviously, some of the people in the early church were destitute. They didn't have much money, and sometimes their needs were not met. They didn't have a place to stay. They didn't have anything to eat. They didn't have clothes to wear. And what did the body of Christ do? They said, well, we'll let the government take care of you. Is that what they said? Um, we'll, we'll establish a welfare state here in, in Jerusalem and the government will have everybody increase their taxes and, and the, the government will take care. No, what did they do? 
They said, you have a need? We'll meet it. You're part of the body of Christ? We'll take care of it. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus? How can we fill your need? And everything was in common. Whatever people needed, the church met that need. What an amazing, wonderful testimony that is. Now, is that the way it is today? I'm looking at people who are well-fed, well-nourished, have a house, roof over their head. You know, we're all taken care of seemingly. And if there are any needs in our congregation, financially, let us know because we're here to help. But do you know where many of us are hurting today? It's emotionally. It's relationally. Maybe it's physically. And what would it look like if you got together with other Christians and you said, here's where I'm struggling. This is what's going on in my life. Please pray for me. Please help me. We have a guy in our congregation by the name of Dave Gordon who's in a life group. Um, the Junk Life Group is what they, they call themselves, led by Dave and Sandy Junk. And Dave got sick recently. He was in the hospital. And that life group just rallied around him and, and his wife, Jan, and they said, how can we help? Can we bring over meals? Many of them went to see him in the hospital. They took care of him. Pastor Tim and I are just a couple guys. But when people are in a life group and people are sharing life together, holy cow, it makes an incredible difference in the way people perceive the church. So you know where I'm going with this. If you're not in a life group or a journey group, and we're going to call them journey groups during that six-week series in September and October, please be in one and experience what it means to be closely connected to other Christians in the body of Christ. Let's go on. Would you read this with me? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Go back to verse 46. What did they do? They met in the where? In the temple. Attending the temple together. So all these believers in Christ went to the Jewish temple and proclaimed the mercies and the love of God in Jesus Christ. And there were Jews there who were not converted to Christianity. Their curiosity was piqued. They said, we want to know more. And then they said, come to my house tonight. And we'll tell you more about Jesus. You want to know about Jesus as Messiah? We don't have time to do it right now because there's a lot of folks around. Some don't want to hear. There's a lot of noise. Come to our house tonight and we'll tell you all about him and why he's made an incredible difference in our lives and how we are willing to die for the sake of the gospel because Jesus lives. Man, oh man. You talk about the church being turned upside down. It happened in people in these house churches lifting up the name of Jesus together. And look at how often they met. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they met on a daily basis. Again, sharing life together, experiencing Christian fellowship through potlucks, taking communion together. These people were on fire for Christ. And yes, they had time, probably more time than we do in 21st century current day America, but man, oh man, they were willing to put everything aside to study the Word of God with other Christians and to break bread together. Now, where did they meet? They met in huge edifices like this, right? Where, where a new church was built every two or three months. No, 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 no. Where did they meet? 
in homes. They met in homes. Now, here, here's the question. How many of you have seen um, House Hunters International? Okay, raise your hand high if you've seen House Hunters International, okay? So, you know what I'm amazed? When those people go to Europe and they have to get a home in Europe, have you seen how small those places are? How pedestrian they are? And don't you sometimes say to the person next to you, man, I could never live like that. Why? Because everything here in the United States is big. We have big homes, big cars, big highways. You go to Europe, it's not like that. The average, listen to this, the average size home in, a, in Europe today is about six to 700 square feet. Yeah, oh, is right. Holy cow. I mean, you, you think about, oh, you know, I live in a 2,500 square foot home. And, and well, what was the early church like? You're probably thinking, where, where are you going with this? Let me tell you where I'm going with this. In the early church, the average size home, get this, was two to 600 square feet. It's like two rooms. So I want to ask you, how many folks could be crammed into those rooms? Probably 10, maybe 12 at the most. So all of a sudden, the early church had a leadership problem. Could the apostles go to all those little individual house churches and do ministry? No, there were only 12 of them. There were literally thousands of people in Jerusalem that now were a part of the body of Christ. So what did they establish? House churches. But those house churches needed leaders. And so what did they do? They, they prayed, they cast lots, they raised up someone who seemed to be having the gifts of the communication and leadership, and then they sent them to St. Louis, Missouri, and they went to four years of seminary. No, 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 guys. What'd they do? Well, they sent them to a seminary in Jerusalem, and there they went for four years, and they got, no, 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 no. What, because the church was moving too fast. What'd they do? They mentored them, as many as possible, equipped them, trained them, and then sent them out to nurture these people in these homes. And any issue that they couldn't answer, they went back to the apostles to validate what they were saying. And any questions they might have had, you know what, Peter, I'm not sure about this. This is what somebody said in our church, our little home church. Somebody said this, is this true? And they'd set them straight. So there was accountability, you see. That's what the early church was like. This is what many people today believe this church, contemporary church, ought to be like. And you know what? I can't say that I totally disagree with that. I sometimes wish that I could go back 2,000 years and experience what they had in this text. It was awesome. And these people were so on fire for Jesus. And it wasn't just an hour-long service. And boy, Pastor Dave, you know, you better finish quickly because the Broncos started at 1130. You know what I'm saying? There was none of that. So how can we kind of get a taste of that? What would it be like if September 18th, we had 500 people signed up for a journey group? 500. I'm looking at all of you and I'm saying, I want you to be in that. As your spiritual leader, I'm responsible for your growth. And I'm saying you will grow in your walk with God if you join a journey group that meets once a week for six weeks. What if we had 500 people doing that? And then we started inviting our neighbors to come and join us. I know when we went through 40 Days of Purpose, there were two people in our community that weren't members of our church that we invited. As a result of that, guess what? They became members of our church. It can happen again as we trust in God. Remember, this is not Pastor Dave or Tim's church. 
This is the Lord's church, and he wants us to be on a move. He doesn't want us to be a silent lamb. He wants us to be a roaring lion. He doesn't want us to be humming along. He wants us to be roaring along. Look at this quote. This is total satire. This is a guy by the name of Todd, I can't remember his last name, but he wrote a book called Spark. And this is a satirical statement of the church today and the way many churches structure their ministry. They devoted themselves to vision clarity, optimized organizational structure, healthy teams, geographically based small groups, great preaching, monster outreach events, massive marketing campaigns, world-class children's ministry, the best music in town, leadership development, new sites, and the latest growth strategy to break the next barrier. Some of the believers came together weekly for an excellent Sunday morning show. Others opted for overbooked schedules of travel, sports, and long work hours to pay increasing debt, leaving no margin for living in common. With a divorce, addiction, and crime rate similar to society at large, outsiders simply mocked the church, wondering why in the world they should be part of something so judgmental, hypocritical, and irrelevant. Rather than praising God for the abundance of blessings and being the fullness of Christ in everything and in every way, they spent their time praying for deliverance from the crazy, empty lives of their outside friends. When the numbers were not added daily, they looked for the next silver bullet to catalyze growth and to make the church more relevant. They desperately sought to do church without, you read it, being the church. I started this sermon by saying, I'm not okay. And neither are you. I need Christian community. So do you. Our journey groups start September 18th. Would you join the journey with me? Experiencing Christian community, I pray, at its very best. Let it be so and let it be done to the glory of God's holy and saving name. Amen.